Our text today is on Isaiah chapter 44 as we continue our spring-summer series through the book of Isaiah, chapter number 44 for our text today as we've been talking about the comfort that God has for His people as He started in chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, and now He keeps saying those wonderful things that help us to go on. Chapter 44 for our text today. My mother had an old saying that she always quoted. And she said, everyone has to eat a peck of dirt before they die. You ever hear that one? A peck of dirt is a quarter of a bushel. That's a lot of dirt, you know. So, if, in other words, if you drop something on the ground, it got a little dirt on it, like your apple or piece of bread or something the idea was it won't kill you it's got a little dirt on it just eat it that's what she was saying she also used to say you don't have to eat the peck of dirt all at once you, know, so you can spread it out a little of course we all are a little careful about what we put in our mouths for years growing up at my house we had rice boiled in milk with nutmeg on top twice a week I ate it because that's what there was, and you ate what was on the table. I didn't really like rice. So when I got married, I had a rule in my house. This is my house. I decide what I eat at my table. I don't have to eat things I don't like, so I don't eat rice anymore. (laughs) I don't put that in my mouth. Over the years, people have said to me, Here, have some hot peppers. They burn all the way down. I said, No thanks. It's okay. I prefer not to burn all the way down. I find there are plenty of delightful foods that taste good. Raspberries and blueberries, a crisp apple, a good pie is also a pleasure to eat. But I did get fooled once. I used to work with a dear old lady named B. And B was a good pie baker and occasionally she'd bring me in to work a pie. Well, one day she asked me, do you like elderberry pie? I said, oh, yes, of course I do. So a few days later, she brought me in this beautiful-looking elderberry pie. Now, one thing about B, she wanted to see you enjoy her pies. So she always cut a big piece for you and handed it to you and said, try this. So that day she cut that beautiful-looking elderberry pie, handed me the pie with a fork and said, try my elderberry pie. So I took a great big old chunk, stuffed it in my mouth. Well, immediately I realized that what I had in my mouth was not a good thing. <laughs> Apparently, B had forgotten in her recipe to add the sugar. <laughs> An elderberry pie without sugar really tastes bad. <laughs> it was so sour, I remember my jaw locked up. And there's B looking at me with them wondering eyes. She said, is it good? I had to think fast. (laughs) My mother always said, don't bite the hand that feeds you. And I had had plenty of good pies. So I had to say something nice. Uh, But my jaw was locked up. (laughs) I had to swallow, could barely swallow those bitter elderberries. But I did. I said, now, B, this pie is way too good to eat at work. 
So I'm going to take it home where I can enjoy it with a little ice cream on top sitting in my easy chair. And she said, yes, you can share it with your wife. I said, she's going to love it. She's going to love it. Well, ever since then, when I get a piece of elderberry pie, I do a little taste test just to make sure it's got sugar in it. Because I never want to taste that again in my mouth. Now, in our text today, we will learn about putting something really bad in your mouth. And just how bad it can be to put the wrong thing in your mouth. Now, these chapters of Isaiah, we find God offering comfort to his people, promising not to break a bruised reed, guaranteeing he'll go through deep waters with us, or fiery trials. And now in chapter 44, we come to the basic human need of every heart and how God reacts to the needs of our souls and the longings of our heart. So Isaiah chapter 44, begin reading at verse number 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. There's three names that God calls his people here in these verses. Jacob course, who was once the father of 12 sons. Then Israel, the same name is used. It's a name God gave to Jacob when Jacob wrestled with God. And so the Jews became known as the children of Israel. And then one you haven't heard, maybe Jeshurun. That was a name that God used to describe the children of Israel. And each name has a little different meaning. Uh, the name Jacob, of course, meant a cheater. That's what he was named when he was born. And it shows that God is willing to call sinners to himself, no matter how bad they are. Israel means a prince with God, or God's people who overcome with God's help. And Jeshurun, which means the righteous one, because when God forgives our sins, he also forgets them. And looks at us as if we've been washed, as we sang, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Each name is a little different, but God's people are all a little different too. So what will he do for his different people? Verse 3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and thy blessing on thine offspring. And they shall spring up among the grass as willows by the water courses. First is the realization that we need fluid. Lots of fluid. It's a feeling inside of us that automatically kicks in to remind us to drink. We feel a need. Thirst drives us to get that need met. And thirst is often used throughout the Bible to describe the deeper needs of our heart and of our souls and the inner desires that trigger inside of us and come cause us to realize our need for God. A spiritual thirst or a need for God. So here God says, if your inner being is thirsty, 
I'll pour you a glass of water. No, that's not what he said at all. He says, if you're thirsty, I'll pour water all over you. Pour it right over your head. Water all over you. God's response to our spiritual need is, I'll give you way more than you need. I'll pour water all over you. And if you say, but I feel like I'm in a desert, in a dry place in my life, God says, don't worry, I'll send a flood. I'll change your desert into a river of rushing water. So much water that willow trees will spring up and grow all over your desert. God said, I am more than willing to pour out my blessings on you. Then the response to God's generosity in verse 5. One shall say, I am the Lord's. Another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. This is an interesting verse to me. One person says, I belong to the Lord. Another says, well, you can call me Jacob. And another one says, well, if you want to know who I am, I'm Israel. And then one, will it says, subscribe his hand unto the Lord. And it actually means to mark yourself with a name. Now, in the ancient world, if you were a slave, you marked the name of your master on your hand. We call it now a tattoo. You know what that is, don't you? If you were in the Roman army, you would tattoo the name of your general right across your forehead. Proud of your general. Sailors used to tattoo the name of the ship on their arm. And so, if you belong to God and you're proud of it, you'd mark his name right on your hand. It's a way for you to swear your allegiance to God. Now notice, all of God's people want to use a little different name. And each wants to identify themselves by a personal feeling towards God. My friends, God is okay with that. He made each of us different. And remember this, each one of us must make a personal approach to God. You have to go to God. You have to pray to Him and talk to Him. And you have to form a relationship with Him. And so you, in your own way, go to God. No one else can do it for you. I can't do it for you. I can't do a thing for you with that. Your parents couldn't do it for you. This church can't do that for you. Now we are here to encourage you, to instruct you, to help you and support you and to point out the way to go, but we can't do it for you. That's something you must do on your own. You must form your own relationship 
with God. Now that may be a unique relationship between you and God, something different from other people. My father had a relationship with God based on the idea that God was holy. And when he talked to God, he even changed his tone of voice to be more reverent. Some people think of God as a great king. And they bow down before him. Other people think of God as their heavenly father. And they cling to him and they love him. To each his own approach. To each individual, they form a special relationship with God. Maybe as a father, maybe as a savior, maybe a king or a creator, or maybe a healer. And God accepts us in many different ways as long as we keep one thing in mind. That's in verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. There's only one God. He started everything. He is first. He will end everything. He is last. He is uniquely God. There is no other God. So you can't make up a God of your own. You can't say, I got my own ideas about God. Yes, he's a father, and yes, he's a savior. Yes, he's a king and a creator and a healer. But he's the only one. And you can't change what God says about himself. Now, people do that. Isaiah gives us an example of how foolish people can be when it comes to their own ideas about God. Down at verse 14. Chapter 44, verse 14. He heweth down cedars, taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengthened for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn. He will take thereof, warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, baked bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it, maketh a graven image, and falleth down. He burneth part thereof in the fire, part thereof he eateth flesh, he roasteth flesh, is satisfied. Yea, he warms himself, and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he makes a god. Even his graven image, and he falls down to it and worships it and prayeth to it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Here's a fella, says Isaiah, who cuts down a tree. And he uses the small branches uh, to make a fire to bake himself a loaf of bread. Then with the bigger branches, he roasts his hunk of meat. And with that few bigger logs, he makes a fire to warm himself. Then he carves on the face of the tree trunk a face and worships it like God. It's a tree trunk. <laughs> you use it for fuel to bake and cook and heat your house. And then you turn around and worship the tree trunk? Why'd you do that? 
What were you thinking? Well, I like it, God, that can't see me or hear me. See? So I made one that's deaf, dumb, and blind. And I can do whatever I want. You say to me, Eric, that was in the ancient time. Nobody carves idols from tree trunks anymore. Listen, my friends, the attitude is the very same today as it was in ancient times. People beside, they do not want to do business with God. One person says, there is no God, no such thing as God. We call him an atheist. Another person says, well, maybe there is a God, but that's got nothing to do with me. I don't want to have anything to do with God, so I ignore him by choice. We call him agnostic. Other people say, look, I don't want God telling me what to do. I choose my own fate. I control my own destiny. I don't need God. And Isaiah said, the guy who carved a god out of a tree trunk was illogical. He didn't make sense. And so are all our modern day people who ignore God. They can't prove that God doesn't exist. They got no evidence. They must, in fact, choose to ignore that one great proof that God does exist. And that great proof that God does exist is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He walked on the water. He healed blind eyes. He cured leprosy. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He calmed the storm and he spoke to the wind and the waves. And he caused the dead to be raised to life. And he was crucified and on the third day he rose from his own grave victorious over death and ascended up into heaven. And that's an awful lot of evidence to ignore. But they reject God. They don't want him. They choose to ignore him. Now Isaiah will give up a powerful assessment of a person who rejects God. Listen to the description of the man who refuses to believe in God. Verse number 20. He feedeth on ashes, a deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? There's three things about the person who rejects God. Mentioned in that verse. But first, let's go back to verse 3. If you are thirsty, God will pour water on you more than you can drink. Man has certain basic inner needs. He was created with those needs. Now if we look at a bird, he's got hollow bones. He's got wings that are beautifully jointed. He's covered with feathers. 
He was made to fly through the air. That's how he was created to fly. Well, look at a fish. His body is wonderfully hinged and moves efficiently through the water. He's got fins to guide his path through the water. He even breathes the water. He was made to be in the water. He was created to swim. So also, man was created for a specific purpose. God created man for his own pleasure, the Bible tells us. That first man, Adam, walked with God in the cool of the evening, every evening, and talked with God on a daily basis. Man was made to commune with God, to talk to God. He was created for that purpose, and that's what gave God pleasure, is why he made us. That's the reason we exist. God put in man certain basic needs. The heart of a man is thirsty for love. And love that's unconditional. Not a love that says, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Next week I probably won't. The, man, the heart of man is thirsty for a love that will last forever no matter what. The mind of man is thirsty for knowledge and thirsty for truth. Reliable knowledge, accessible truth. We long for wisdom in our mind. And there's a will in a man. That's a part of a man that makes decisions. That will wants some laws and some commandments that guide our life. Help us to know how to live. Then there's a sinful part of us. Down inside of us. A guilty part of us. And we're thirsty for forgiveness and pardon. And these are the inner desires that drive man, his inner thirst. What can quench all those inner thirsts? God. The love that lasts forever in Jesus' love who gave himself for us can quench those inner thirsts. The mind. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What quenches the thirst of the mind. The will of man, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Give me your will. To the sinful part of us, Jesus said, whosoever believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Every need in the human heart can only be meant by God. And so God supplies nourishment for our souls. We feel worn out. We feel exhausted. We feel unfulfilled and dry. We feel confused 
and unsatisfied. Those feelings are created in us to bring us to God. But the man who rejects God and ignores God, who tries some other way to quench his thirst and to feed his soul, Isaiah says he's feeding on ashes. Now I brought some ashes today. It's out of my wood stove. Anybody want a mouthful? <laughs> Pretty nasty. Little chunks of burned up wood. I put it in a bag and sealed up because I knew if I puffed it up here, I'd be caught. <laughs> he said, can you imagine a mouthful of ashes? Open your mouth, take in a mouth. That's worse than elderberry pie with no sugar. <laughs> worse than that. There's no nourishment in that bag. He's a whole bag. It's going to leave you dry and a very unpleasant taste. The person who tries to find love and guidance and wisdom but refuses to come to God is like a man, Isaiah says, eating ashes. What will you do? What will you do to satisfy those inner needing, those inner hungers and thirst? Gather more things, wealth, money. Jesus said a man's life doesn't consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. So you look for love. You want to see if you can find love. 50% of marriages end in divorce. It shows the failure of that search for love. Ignoring God is like eating a mouthful of ashes. And then the person who ignores God, he says, has a deceived heart that turns him aside. He is tragically unaware of his own situation. And with the picture that Isaiah paints, can you see him there with a whole plate full of ashes, stuffing himself full, and growing fainter every day? Unaware that his needs are not being met, he's deceived. He believes a lie, still convinced he'll find satisfaction without God's help. He goes on ignoring God, believing he will find meaning and purpose in what this world has to offer. Watch him as he eats the ashes. Illogical. Unreasonable. Created to commune with God and to talk to God. He is deceived about the very reason he exists. Then the third thing he says, he cannot deliver his own soul. In all of his searching, he can't find anything to deliver him. He started out doing things that he thought would pleasing, and those things became habits, and the habits formed chains. 
And now he's in bondage to his habits. And try as he might, he cannot break the habit. And he cannot set himself free. He needs someone from the outside to help him. He cannot, as Isaiah says, deliver his soul. So the picture of the man who ignores God, those inner needs cry out, feed me, I'm hungry, water, I thirst. But he feeds on ashes, mouthful of ashes. And he is unaware that he is deceived, finds himself helpless, unable to deliver his soul. Oh, my friends, all the love you need is in Jesus who says, I loved you with an everlasting love. It's going to last till the day we die and then continue on beyond that forever and ever. All the wisdom you seek is in Jesus, who said, I am the way, I am truth, and I am life. His commandments are full of help. He says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink, said Jesus. He said he fed 5,000 in the middle of the wilderness and it said they all ate until they were full. Jesus offers himself to us to take eat. This is my body broken for you. There's no sugarless elderberries in what he offers. There's no bitter taste there's no ashes for dinner I will pour water on him who is thirsty and I will pour floods upon the dry ground it's between you and Jesus it's a very personal thing shall we pray dear heavenly father we thank you for the instructions of your word We don't want to feed on ashes. We want to feed on the living God. We want to talk to you, fulfill our destiny and purpose, and know who you are, and commune with you. Make us what we ought to be. And when we put God first, everything else in our life falls into perfect place. So help us, Lord, that we might look to you above all, Seek you out our own selves. Lord, please don't let anybody in this church think that we're going to do it for them. Let them do it themselves and come to know God in a very personal way. Ask your blessing on these folks who are gathered here today that you will pour water on everyone and flood out all dry ground. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn book with me, if you will. Hymn number 243. Standing as we sing. Hymn number 243. Ho, everyone that is thirsty in spirit. 243. Standing as we sing. Page 243. Oh! 
something that is real and true, something that satisfies, that takes our thirst that we cannot satisfy in any other way and quenches it, and that is only you. You are real and true, genuine, and there is no other genuine way in this earth, though we would seek for anything, for our pleasures We would seek for things in our heart and our life in other ways, but there is nothing to be to fulfill our thirst. It is only like having a mouthful of dry ashes every time. It is disappointing and not fulfilling. So, Lord, we pray that we would come to you and we would ask you for fulfillment, for help, that we would seek and have a personal relationship with you come to you in so many ways that you have said, come to me. We just ask for that. We ask for that amongst all of our hearts. And we pray that you would pour water upon us on that dry ground where we are thirsty and in need of you. We pray that we would do that. We ask for these things. We ask for protection and care over all of these people. Bring them back safely to this place. We ask for all these things in your name. 